This podcast is brought to you by Most Valuable Podcasts, leading the league in podcasting entertainment. What's up, what's up? Real MVPs, Ricky Widmer here, along with the one, the only, Brandon Swine Swanson. Hey, hey, hey. And Brandon, I actually, uh, we got a comment about you on our Odell Beckham video on the onside kick. Apparently, people like you so much on this podcast, they were asking where you were on the onside kick because they miss you I, on the onside kick. I can't imagine it's because they love me on this podcast. And I know that it's because you were also telling me before the podcast that you were kind of upset that you couldn't be on the onside kick yesterday because all this NFL free agency news has got Brandon's brain kind of going a little crazy because it's the best time of the year. This is truly, for any sport, the best time of the year. It is because people actually are signing places right mm-hmm. away. They're not like before hol- they're not free holding out and, and waiting until, mm-hmm. uh, you know, weeks into spring training already mm-hmm. like MLB. <laughs> not, not like Bryce Harper, but you've got <laughs> NBA season is gearing up for the playoffs. March Madness is gearing up. The Combine and the Draft is gearing up for college football. You've got NFL free agency. This is clearly my favorite time of the year just overall for sports, and it's just when I really just kind of dive in and enjoy everything. But, boy, do we have a jam-packed – I know I always say that. Like, you got a jam-packed show. So, really, (laughs) Ricky, what does that truly mean? But, really, did we – we're, like, jamming everything in. It's like you're going on that vacation, you've got everything packed, and you're like – Bathing suit. Forgot it. And you're like trying to jam that bathing suit in and the suitcase is about to explode. That's this podcast because not only do we have our NFL big board 4.0 today, 1 through 25, all three segments on the podcast. We also got some college basketball because, Brandon, some big things went down yesterday, Tuesday night, that we got to talk about that could impact the NCAA tournament and also we got to give our official predictions for the conference tournaments although some of them have started already the power five ones we're going to give our predictions at the end of the segment but before we do make sure to check out patreon.com backslash most valuable podcast those of you who are supporting us at the ten dollar tier can come on a podcast of your choice talk about a topic that you want to talk about And we all have fun. Or you can support us at any other tier level that we have. We have tons of rewards for you guys. We're actually going to be revamping those very soon and having a little video talking about that in the near future. So stay tuned for that as well. But Brandon, let's dive into some college basketball before we get into our big board. And last night we had the WCC, the West Coast Conference, had their title game for their conference tournament. And everyone thought, you know what? I ain't going to tune into this one. It's St. Mary's, the Gales, it's the Gonzaga Bulldogs, 30-2, and two, number one team in the nation. They're so stacked. There's no way they could go down. There's no way that they could lose, right, B? No way that Gonzaga <laughs> can lose. Well, the Zags lose 60-47, to 47, a team that averaged 90 points this season, was held to only 47 points against the Gales. And when Coach Bennett for the Gales was asked about being on the bubble and everything, he goes, well, you know what? I feel sorry for everyone else on the bubble because we don't have to worry about it anymore because they have punched their ticket into the tournament. So many implications. There are some teams on the bubble that are like, great, since St. Mary's is in and obviously 
Gonzaga is still going to get into the tournament, that takes away a spot for us. But what I want to talk about to start the podcast, Brandon, is the Gonzaga Bulldogs. They were originally the number one team going into this game. They are not going to be the number one team when Selection Sunday comes up this Sunday. The question I want to ask you is what I proposed on Twitter. Joe Lenardi says this might not be the case, but I still want to have this discussion. Should or will the Gonzaga Bulldogs fall off of the one line after this loss to St. Mary's? Well, it depends on everybody else. Mm-hmm. Uh, and where I'm looking big time right now is the Big Ten. Well, you had responded to my tweet talking about a certain team from the Big Ten. Because you asked a good question, and you talked about, you know, could there be a possibility that 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 Duke, that Tennessee, that LSU end he, up end up jumping and, and being a number one and, and, and switching mm-hmm. out with, with Gonzaga, I think specifically, was mm-hmm. your tweet. And out of those, my response was... Michigan State uh, to me because as of late I I know that they had their their loss to um, Indiana on the road and their their three losses in a row of Purdue Indiana and Illinois Mm -hmm. that was a while back they've done some good things since then and their last win against Michigan was big Um, I think that what Michigan State would need to do is to win the Big Ten tournament and if they could do that I think that Michigan could help to put themselves as a really, or at least make themselves a good case for why they should be a number one seed mm-hmm. and why that they should knock off Gonzaga from being a number one and, and then put Gonzaga as a number two. But if Michigan State is unable to win the Big Ten tournament, then I think that they would probably stay at a two and Gonzaga most likely would be at a one. Tennessee and LSU, what I think I said was that they've been just... LSU was a little too inconsistent, in my mind, throughout the season. A good team, don't get me wrong, but I don't think they were consistent enough to be to be considered a number one, and mm-hmm. Tennessee faltered too much at the end of the season to be considered a number one, in my mind. Now, the thing that I know a lot of people are going to say, and this is probably why Joe Lenardi right away was like, hey, they're probably going to still stay on the one line, the good thing for Gonzaga, only three losses this year. Like, if Virginia doesn't win the ACC, them and Virginia will be at the same amount of losses, and that'll be the least amount of losses out of the top 25. So they have that going for them. But for me, it all comes down to the rest of the Power Fives. And the Big Ten, like you mentioned, is a big one because – yeah, Michigan State, if they go on and win that game or win that tourney, that could propel them to the one line. But also think about this. You've got two conferences in the ACC and the SEC that can kind of shake things up here, where the SEC is interesting because right now Kentucky holds that final. Like We talked about them a couple weeks ago. Could they be on the one line? Well, guess what? Right now entering champ week, they are that last number one seed, number four, heading into this week. But let's say they lose. They're going to have to, if they want to win, they're going to have to play the winner of Alabama Old Miss, which, unless there's a March upset, should happen in most eyes. But then it's like you got to play potentially Tennessee. If we're going just top seeds, 
you got to go through Tennessee in the semifinal and then either LSU or South Carolina, most likely LSU. You got to play both of those guys going on into that final and into that championship. And then you got Duke, where Duke and Virginia could meet in the ACC final. And if Duke beats Virginia in the ACC final with a healthy Zion Williamson back playing for them, those are two teams that if Kentucky loses, Tennessee and LSU could steal a one line from them. But at the same time, if Duke beats Virginia, will that hurt the Zags or will it hurt Virginia, who would lose to Duke, especially if Virginia loses before that championship game and wouldn't even get the opportunity to play a Duke for the ACC final? Well, Ricky, I think when you look first at Duke, is they've been very shaky. Everyone understands and realizes they've been shaky without Zion Williamson. Mm -hmm. And everyone knows that for this tournament to be truly fun, uh, Zion Williamson needs to be playing for the ACC tournament and then certainly for the uh, NCAA tournament. Otherwise, one, there won't be as much excitement. Two, Duke has really no chance of making it all the way. But they've been too inconsistent. I don't think they jump anyone to get to the one line. I don't see that happening. And then when you look on the other side for Tennessee or LSU uh, being able to jump to Kentucky uh, to be on the one line, I don't necessarily see either of those happening. But mm-hmm. if it, but out of either one of them, I would see Tennessee over LSU to have a better chance to, to jump the Wildcats in mm-hmm. that scenario. Uh, but I, I, I think Kentucky probably stays at the one. I think Virginia probably stays at the one. Gonzaga is the one where I am like, I don't know. I don't know if they if they're if they're going to be a one seed. North Carolina currently right now is a one seed for with Joe Lenardi. Mm-hmm. I think that makes a lot of sense. I think they probably should be. I I don't I don't I don't see a whole lot of mix up from three of the four one seeds. Mm-hmm. Gonzaga is the one that I think is up for grabs right now. But that's only if. That's only if, in my mind, if a Michigan State is able to win the Big mm-hmm. Ten Big Ten tournament and and kind of really run the table there as they are the number one in number one seed in that tournament. Mm-hmm. So if they're able to go through that, do everything they're supposed to do, and win it all, that's going to make a whole lot more sense than a Gonzaga team that really didn't look good losing sixty to forty seven mm-hmm. to uh, St. Mary's. The only thing, if I am the <clears throat> Gonzaga Bulldogs, first off, the thing I want to say about Gonzaga, because I know their fans are going to say so, the only losses they had before this um, WCC finals um, tournament loss was a three-point loss in December to Tennessee on a neutral court, and then they lost 103-90 to at North Carolina on December 15th. Only two games they've lost all year. They even have on their resume a win over a number one Duke team in the Maui Invitational in Hawaii. So they have, to me, quality wins. And like, I know the Tennessee and North Carolina losses are hey, you lost to some one and two seeded teams, but you have a win against Duke. And that can help you in this argument. The thing that I 
just popped to my head that I want to ask you is, do you think Gonzaga is more vulnerable than North Carolina? Because if North Carolina, let's say, because looking at the ACC tournament, of course they're going to have to play their games on Thursday, North Carolina and Duke. But if North Carolina and Duke meet Friday for the semifinals and Duke beats them and then Duke wins the ACC tournament, is North Carolina the most vulnerable to where it would be like, well, you know, Duke beat you and Duke just won their conference tournament. So instead of you and Virginia being on that one line, we're going to put Virginia and Duke on the one line and North Carolina could be the team that falls out to the two line. Um, you know, I, I think that when I look at Gonzaga and mm-hmm. they have had a good season as they do almost every single year, the fact that they couldn't close in the game last night mm-hmm. is is a little troubling. And I'm not saying that St. Mary's is a bad team. It's almost always Gonzaga and St. Mary's in that mm-hmm. game. I mean, well, that's really no surprise. The last time Gonzaga lost the WCC tournament was 2012. I know. I believe St. Mary's was the team that beat them. So, so it's always these two it teams. It is. It's always those two. I mean, it's really never a surprise of who's, of which two it's going to be. Mm-hmm. But. I will say you you have to close out. I mean, you have to be able to win those those games. And mm-hmm. I'm not saying it's an easy game. It's not an easy game. And you know this team very well. So I guess I just feel like there there was such a poor showing from Gonzaga in that game. And yes, they'd much rather have it now than actually in the NCAA tournament. But they're held from two uh, two for seventeen from beyond the arc. They're not going to win going uh, shooting like that from mm-hmm. three. Um, Rui was very much held in check. If if a team comes along and holds him in check in the tournament, that's going to be pretty pretty difficult. If a team comes along and holds him and Brandon Clark in check in the tournament, that's going to be extremely difficult. But when you look at UNC and yes, you give that scenario, then yeah, then yes, we we have we have ourselves some question marks of mm-hmm. is North Carolina going to remain a, a number one? But mm-hmm. I will say currently, I think Duke has looked really bad. I mean, I mean that's, it and just I understand. depends on how I they under, work with Zion. Exactly. I understand you get Zion back. Cam is still trash, mm-hmm. um, you know, for a good player. Um, but he is. What does he do? Nothing. I love the shade being thrown by you at Cam and then the, the support that he gets in the comment section. It's a nice little that's back fine. and forth between you and the comment section. That is why I laugh when you make a comment like Cam is trash because I know that back and forth that I love so much of just the – Disagreeance is going to come from the comment section. It's just great to see. Well, absolutely. And of then, course, and we're then, not all going to agree and, on everything. And then they're going to tell me or ask me, how many Duke games do you watch per year? Do you even watch, bro? All the Duke games that are in primetime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <laughs> Every there, single you Duke so there you go. Yeah, they're always much, in primetime. Pretty much. Um, but I, I, I think that RJ Barrett, too, uh, he has, especially right mm-hmm. now, the weight of on his shoulders, it, it's the whole weight of the team. It, it's all on him right now. Let's go and, and, let's go I and think put that, that back on Zion's sturdy shoulders. Well, at least, at least split it. At mm-hmm. least split it, which is where it seemed to be before, and yeah. it, it seemed to be working. My problem, though, is 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 Cam is is one of those players where he can just he just disappears mm-hmm. in in these games. I think a lot of times, and th- that's that's his problem. Is 
And that's where we talk about in a big board. That's where I would think someone would be talking about in a mock, should be talking about in a mock draft. Mm-hmm. Is he going to be able to be that number one playmaker at the next level? Mm-hmm. And if the answer is no, then I guess I would think maybe he shouldn't be as high in mock drafts, which mm-hmm. is why I, and, and, and is high in big boards, which is why I've dropped him down. But it's going to be very interesting to see what this Duke team is going to be like with mm-hmm. Zion Williamson returning if he is fully healthy. What's he going to look like after five, six games off? Mm-hmm. Probably his same self. Awesome. but Well, hey, there's but, even articles I've seen of can he get into game shape? Like, can he get back into game shape after missing so many games since being out since the UNC game, the first UNC game? And it's not easy. It's not easy to get back to that point and mm-hmm. just come back and be the guy right away. And if he's able to, that even speaks volumes for him at the next level of mm-hmm. what he will be able to be. So... I'm interested. I definitely don't want to put North Carolina at a two right now already, assuming mm-hmm. that Duke's going to get there um, and, and swap them for a number mm-hmm. one. But I guess you could put an asterisk there. It's a, like for me, that is like how all this is playing out because the one seeds are very fluid right now, I would say, where I feel like first off, I'll start from the bottom because that's how we, we, Drake, we start from the bottom. Now we're here. Um, <laughs> Let's start with the SEC, where it's if Kentucky doesn't win that tournament and let's say LSU does, I could maybe see then, maybe not in LSU because LSU's at nine, but then it's like, okay, Michigan State won the Big Ten. Will Michigan State then take the one seat away from a Kentucky? If North Carolina, to me, if North Carolina wants to be a one seed, they need to advance to the final at the very least. And in that final, they can only lose to Virginia because then they could say, well, it was a 1v1, we lost, especially if they beat Duke. If they beat Duke, solidify it. You're a number one seed um, if you're North Carolina. If you lose to Duke in the semifinals, barring if Duke gets there because anything can happen, if you lose to Duke, then I'm sitting there going, okay, I am ready to be a two-seed if I'm North Carolina, the thing that I feel like Virginia and Gonzaga after like, because I know my tweet that I sent out after the WWC or WCC game kind of made it seem like I was expecting Gonzaga to fall off the one line. But the more I think about it, I think Gonzaga's done enough this year. Their conference play, you can believe whatever you want in it. The point, the point I always make is you can only play in conference. You can only play the games that are on your schedule. You can't change those games. So it's not like Gonzaga could change anything. They played the games that were on their conference schedule, and they only lost one of them. But the question that I want to ask you, particularly about Gonzaga, let's say they do, whether they stay a one line or they go to the two line, did this game... St. Mary's, because Coach Bennett of the Gales, after this win, said two things that popped out to me. Number one, he said kind of like what you said. The Bulldogs aren't going to shoot like this every game. Like, you look at it, Zach Norvell Jr. was 1 of 11, 0 of 6 from 3. He's not going to shoot like that normally. Perkins, 0 of 3 from beyond the arc. You've got the whole team... 2 of 17 from beyond the arc. Whether it was a bad shooting day for the Zags, 
good defense from St. Mary's. It goes a little bit hand-in-hand hand there because St. Mary's did play very well defensively to keep this team only at 47 points. The question I want to ask you is did St. Mary's, because they feel like Coach Bennett said, he's like, hey, the last game that we played against them, I believe it was at St. Mary's place, he said, I felt like we played very well defensively against them. It was just one transitional run, which Gonzaga very good in transition. They can kind of get things started with that. It took one run. It was like, great, without that one run, we probably could have beat them today. Did St. Mary's just give teams, any team, any seed, a blueprint to where if we want to knock off Gonzaga in the tournament, watch this game and try to emulate what St. Mary's did? I mean, I think that there's going to be probably plenty of teams who will go back and look at that film. But again, it's it's it it's two factors. Mm-hmm. Yes, St. Mary's came and they played good defense, but also Gonzaga just had a really bad shooting night. Just an off night. And and I think that that's that's also one of the the problems is you look at that and you, and you can't just say, "Oh, well, here's the blueprint. This mm-hmm. is exactly what we have to do because if Rui's on, if Brandon Clark is on, if these guys are on and and just nailing their threes no matter mm-hmm. how good the defense is, it doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. I I mean, you want to try and slow them up as much as you can, but it, d- it doesn't necessarily matter in mm-hmm. the end if they're if they're on if they're having a good shooting night. But yes, it will still be a game that teams will want to look at and say, okay, how exactly did they do it, and how can we try and emulate it? So here's what I want to do to end this before we go into the meat and potatoes, which is the big board. I just want to really quickly. I know some of these have started, and it's not a true kind of prediction, but with the weekend coming to a close and champ week kind of already here, I want to just very quickly, just for the Power Five, so Big Ten, ACC, Big 12, SEC, and then Pac-12. Basically, all I'm going to say is you don't have to give every single game because that would be way too long. Who's in the final? Who wins it? So we'll start with the Big Ten because that's the one, Brandon, I know that you kind of seem like you're most excited for the Big Ten tournament, who's in the final on March 17th, Selection Sunday, and who wins the Big Ten tournament? I'm going to say Michigan State and Purdue. Hmm. Michigan State wins. See, I'm going to go opposite of you. I'm going to say Michigan State wins it. They beat Michigan for the title. I think that it's going to be Michigan-Purdue in that second game. Michigan will win, and then it'll be a good game, Michigan State-Michigan. I almost wanted to pick the Wolverines, but I'm going to pick Sparty to win that game. ACC, who's in the final and who wins it? Come back to me. So I'll start. So for me, I'm going to go boring. You ready for this boring pick? Duke versus Virginia. Duke wins. It's plain and simple. I've said this before. I will say it again. Duke, as long as they have Zion Williamson on the court, they are my national championship pick. If he is not on the court, they are not my national championship pick because they are two vastly different teams when Zion is on the court versus when Zion is off the court, where you look at every game before 
Zion got injured. They lost to a Syracuse team by four and a Gonzaga team <clears throat> by two. As soon as Zion left that team, they lost to UNC. They lost to Virginia Tech. They lost to UNC. They almost lost to Wake Forest. Only won that game by one. That's another negative on there. So almost four losses without Zion out there. As long as Zion is playing for the Duke Blue Devils, I think they will win most of their games and win it all. So I'm going to pick Duke over Virginia in the ACC title game. I'm going to say that uh, I'm going to go with something that most people are not going to find very appealing, and I'm going with it just because of that exact fact. Mm -hmm. Um, Syracuse is going to knock off Duke, and then it's going to end up being Virginia and North Carolina. Virginia will win. Wait, so you said, say Virginia over who? North Carolina. North Carolina. See, because Duke, I'm, I, I have Duke losing to, to Syracuse. North okay. So you because got Syracuse, losing. that defense, they've struggled against it before. Syracuse has played them well. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to say, I'm going to say that Syracuse upsets Duke, mm-hmm. and then uh, it's going to be North Carolina and Syracuse. North Carolina will get past them. Virginia will beat North Carolina. See, and I, that can totally happen because. When did Syracuse beat Duke? When Zion was on the floor. It was funny because when Syracuse beat Duke, RJ and Zion were on the floor. It was Cam Reddish who was not on the floor. So I will ask you, which one do you want to go to next? SEC, Big 12, or Pac-12? Let's do SEC. SEC, who are you picking for your final game and who's winning it? I'm going to do Kentucky over LSU, and I am going Kentucky. That's who I'm going to go with there. So, see, I'm a little I'm a little conflicted with this one. And the reason why is I like two teams to win this tournament. And the thing is they both play each other potentially in the semifinal round. Oh, shoot. I got to pick one of them. Um, who's been hotter as of late? Um, hmm. Oh, shoot. Um, I am going to go with... Ten- I'm going to go Tennessee versus LSU. Tennessee gets their revenge for the overtime loss. I believe it was one or two points that they lost by. So Tennessee playing LSU for the title. However, I will throw out there, Auburn could be a sleeper, could get by South Carolina, and then against LSU, anything is possible. But Tennessee, LSU, LSU with the win. Because I know your feelings about the Pac-12, let's go over to the Big 12. Um, We'll leave the best conference for last, right, Brandon? Yeah. Big old Pac-12. For me, the Big 12 tournament, you're you're mostly excited about the Big 10. I'm mostly excited about the Big 12. And the reason why is I think this year it's a three-dog race for that championship. For the first time in as many years as I can remember, Kansas, sorry, Pat, one of our loyal patrons, um, who's a (coughs) Rock Chalk Jayhawk fan, did not win the regular season crown in that automatic bid that comes with that. I think that this tournament is going to come down to two teams. The first one, Kansas State, the Thundercats, and Bruce Weber. On the other side, Jarrett Culver 
and the Texas Tech Red Raiders. And I think that Jarrett Culver, much like a young Michael Crabtree, is going to pull free and the Big 12 tournament is going to go to the Red Raiders. How about you? So this used to be um, an easy Kansas walk in the park. Well, no more um, this year. I'm going to say it's going to be K-State and Texas Tech in the final, and K-State is going to win. And then we save the best for last. Pac-12. Who do you got? Do I have to pick anybody? Is Brandon just flipping a coin here? I mean, like, do I have to pick anyone? Um, (laughs) And I'm very... Very serious about mm-hmm. that. So let's go with um, Washington and uh, Utah, and then Washington wins. I actually am very interested in, uh, I believe that game happens the day that this podcast is going to come out. So the Thursday game between USC and Washington. The reason why I say that is I feel like whichever team wins that game is going to go on and win the Pac-12 tournament. I do not think that the Trojans get the win over the Huskies. I'm going to say the Huskies go ahead and get that win. And I'm actually going to be very boring for this one, too. I feel like it's going to be Washington. I feel like it's going to be ASU when everything is all said and done on Saturday. And I think this is one where the number one seeded team kind of walks into this with Washington winning the Pac-12 tournament and getting that automatic bid for the conference after or going into Selection Sunday. I really hate to say this, but I almost Mm -hmm. forgot that the Pac-12 existed in college basketball this year. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, it had the thing with the Pac-12, for me it had so much, at the beginning of the year, it had so much like potential to be a sleeper conference because we had ball ball, I hope I said that right. I keep saying ball, 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 ball in Oregon. Kevin Porter Jr. with the Trojans in Southern Cal. Uh, Lugens Dort earlier in the year with Arizona State. And then Casey Akpala with Stanford. And I just, I feel like Dort's fallen off since like our first big boards and our first drafts. Casey Akpala has kind of stayed in like the lower range of the first round and hasn't really risen to like lottery level to where there's much hype around him. Kevin Porter Jr. obviously had the, you know, he got injured, then he got uh, suspended from the team indefinitely, and there was like so much circling around him. And then obviously, Bull Bull with his injury, I just feel like all the wind, like the potential for the Pac 12 was to be that, like, sleeper conference. It's like, holy shit, I didn't understand that the Pac-12 was actually this exciting, and then all their wind just got taken right out of their sails. But any final thoughts about college basketball before we will see everybody this upcoming Monday when we talk about the tournament after it's all said and done? No. This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you think down below in the comment section. We had a nice, long discussion on college basketball. What do you think the Gonzaga loss means for the tournament? What do you think? I know we didn't hit this. What do you think the St. Mary's win means for the the on-the-bubble teams? I know we didn't really hit that, but I want to know what you guys are thinking down below. And then also, give us your tournament predictions. I know it's in the middle of Champ Week, but go ahead. Give them your predictions as well down below in that comment section.
But Brandon, let's move on into the meat and potatoes of our podcast. The actual, I'll be honest, the actual podcast before mm-hmm. I came in today and was like, hey, Brandon, do you mind if we throw a little college basketball at the start? And you're like, oh, no problem, Ricky. Um, we could talk about some college basketball. Um, now we're going to get into what we are really going to get into today. Also, I will throw this out there. Um, I don't know if this is coming across on camera because we are a little far further away. Um, but it's really hot in the MVP studios um, today. It's like the way I am describing it, um, to be very frank about it, is it's balls hot in this room. Um, so if you see Brandon and I sweating, um, that is why. Um, and I'm all, I, I know I need a haircut um, and the sweat is getting to my hair. But, Brandon, how we do the big board is we cut it up into three. The first segment we're going to look at is 16 through 25 before we talk about what we're going to talk about, we give each of ours. I will start with you. Start with number 25 and give us 25 through 16. All right. At number 25 for me, I've got A.J. Brown, the wide receiver out of Ole Miss. At 24, I've got Andre Dillard, the defensive tackle from Washington State. At 23, Josh Jacobs, running back Alabama. At 22, Brian Burns, the outside linebacker D-end for Florida State. At 21, Cody Ford, the um, offensive guard for uh, Oklahoma. At 20, Ed Oliver, defensive tackle for Houston. 19, DeAndre Baker, cornerback Georgia. At 18, Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle Clemson. At 17, DK Metcalf, the wide receiver from Ole Miss. And at 16, Marquise Brown, wide receiver, Oklahoma. Well, starting off with mine at number 25, Justice Hill, the running back from Oklahoma State. Had a really good combine. Cracks my top 25 for the first time. Then at number 24, Byron Murphy, the cornerback from Washington and the Huskies. Then at number 23, Brian Burns, the pass rusher from Florida State and the Seminoles. Number 22, Noah Fant, the tight end from the Iowa Hawkeyes. Number 21, Dexter Lawrence, the defensive tackle out of Clemson. Then at number 20, Andre Dillard, the offensive tackle from the Washington State Cougars. Then at 19, Josh Jacobs, the running back from the Alabama Crimson Tide. Then 18, Ed Oliver, defensive tackle out of Houston. Number 17, Marquise Hollywood Brown, the wide receiver from the Oklahoma Sooners. And then rounding everything out at 16, Cullen Farrell, the defensive end from the Clemson Tigers. And Brandon, for this chunk, there were two things that we were going to hit for this chunk of teams. Number one is running backs. Number two is Ed Oliver. Let's jump into the running backs. I know know Mark and I, on the onside kick immediately following the combine, we're talking about winners and losers. And let's be honest, the running backs were, if I could put them as a collective whole, most of them would go in the loser category um, from the combine where really the only two to stick out in my mind are obviously the two on my big board. Josh Jacobs, although he was limited at the combine, did do interviews, met with teams like the Eagles, but he also did the bench press and I believe had 16 reps. I'll have to look at um, those numbers for him. But then Justice Hill had a Great combine, shot up draft boards, had a great 40 time for the wide or for the running backs. And one guy who did not have a good combine, who is on neither of our big boards, who I know you 
were a big fan of on previous big boards was Dave David Montgomery out of Iowa State. What is your kind of mindset with the running back position now following the combine, knowing that most of these guys didn't really, like no one really stood out as like, bam, this is the guy that needs to be past the top 15 or in the top 15 of draft boards. Well, I I know that a lot of people are going to look at the combine and they're going to use that as their scoring board for mm-hmm. everybody and who's going to be really good. And I don't think that we can necessarily do that for for everybody. And that's why I want to say that I don't think David Montgomery, you know, while he's not in either of our boards, I don't think that he is a bad running back or will be bad in the NFL by any means. But we never said that he was a speedster. We never mm-hmm. said that he was going to just l- shoot past people and be gone. Um, he's he's a little shifty. He's not extremely fast. He's quick, but he's not fast. Mm-hmm. Um, there's good things to his game. There's good pieces to his game. Everything like that. So I I still I still do like him, but I think a guy who's really and and this is even before Justice Hill rose from his combine performance. It's Josh Jacobs, and it's the running back from Alabama that I I think people are more surprised to see uh, up towards the top. And and, and for a lot of people, he is the number one running back. Mm -hmm. And and I think that that's also because, well, no, he didn't get the majority of the work when at Alabama, but whenever he was called upon, he made big plays. He made plays happen. He scored a lot, 11 touchdowns on the ground just last year. And another great thing that NFL owners, GMs, coaches will be able to look at with Josh Jacobs is that he's not coming into the NFL with a ton of mileage on him from college. Mm-hmm. He's pretty fresh still. He's not a guy who was who they went to 20, 25 carries every single game. That's not him. So he's coming into the NFL, fresh legs, feeling good ready to go and ready to maybe be a 20 to 25 carry guy mm-hmm. who I think he could be. And he's that he's that type of running back who he's not going to be your power back up the middle like a Mark Ingram. He's going to be your shifty speedster back that Alvin Kamara is on that team. Not Alvin Kamara, but he'll show more skill sets towards an Alvin Kamara than a, than a Mark Ingram. Uh, to to just give an example, but he's good. He's shifty. He's great. I think that you can use him in the passing game as well. He had three touchdowns, receiving touchdowns this past year for the Crimson Tide. He's a guy that NFL teams, I think, will look at and say, this guy may not end up being a NFL superstar. He's not going to be an NFL Saquon Barkley, mm-hmm. but not many people ever will be. But he's somebody who... I think could be, and maybe this is way off point, but maybe more of a Christian McCaffrey type, a guy who he's going to catch a lot of passes. He's going to be used a lot in the passing game and he's going to be shifty when he's running and definitely difficult for Mm -hmm. tacklers to take down. Again, I know I always hate doing those, those uh, comparisons because Mm -hmm. then people will roast you and grill you. and, And then it's like, well, but but look at how they were when they were in college, though, too, not even just NFL. I, I think that Josh Jacobs is is one of the 
most interesting running backs to look at. I also think he's one of the most talented in this class. See, the thing for me is I want to touch David Montgomery first because he was the guy I think had the coming into the combine, he had the most to gain because he was the one that everyone was. He had the NFL comparisons to Kareem Hunt. People are like, if he comes out, has a great combine, he could solidify himself as a day one guy and could be drafted in that first round. Has the combine that he does, showed poor explosiveness, poor speed, the um, height and the measurements weren't exactly there to what we expected to where now many people are like, all right, he's a day two back. And the thing I think with most of the running backs that had bad days, because he's not the only one, Singletary was another one, Elijah Holyfield was one of the ones that didn't have that great of a day. There were a ton of running backs that just didn't have a good day at the combine. That doesn't solidify to me what they're going to be like at the next level. Obviously, teams are going to do their scouting, and teams are going to look at these guys and kind of basically, I know it's a bad way to put this, but they're like prize-winning like horses to where it's like, hey, you, I am betting my money on you to pay off for my team. I'm going to poke, prod, dissect your film. Even if I'm not taking you in the first round, there might be a way that I take you in the second or even third round. And I know that third round would be low, but it's technically still day two. The guy that I think gained the most out of the combine, and it's going to be interesting how everything moves forward. Because, like, the combine is one. I know you and I will have one more NFL big board after this um, in the month of April. But it's the guy I have at 25, Justice Hill, because I have a unique stat for you, Brandon, that I want to throw out there. Did you know that only two running backs since 2003 have posted a 4-4-40 or faster at the combine and have had a vertical jump of 40-plus inches? One of them is Justice Hill. He did that this past year. Do you know who the other one was? Because he's really good and was taken really high in last year's draft. Saquon? Saquon Barkley. Justice Hill and Saquon Barkley, only two backs. They have a 440 or faster and a 40-plus on the vertical at the combine. And I know what people are going to say, wow, they're really good at running and jumping in their underwear. But to me, that says something about Justice Hill of where Saquon had the... He had the film in college. He had the, dare I say it, hype with how well the Penn State Nittany Lions were. Oklahoma State, they weren't bad, but they weren't on the same level as Saquon's Penn State Nittany Lions. Like Oklahoma State was not competing for national championship and college football playoff. They were just trying to prove Brandon wrong each and every week in picks depending on which way Brandon picked one of their games. But to me, that is interesting. Where you look at their height and weight, I mean, Justice Hill is about a few fractions of an inch shorter than Saquon is. And, of course, he's a lot thinner. Like, Saquon's 233, Justice Hill's 194. But to me, that says something to where 
if he's got this raw speed and can have the same type of athletic ability as a Saquon Barkley, he might be a guy that you think about if, let's say, you need a running back and let's say a team like the Ravens, who Todd McShay had take Josh Jacobs in his mock draft first round, then if you need a running back and Josh Jacobs is already taken, Justice Hill could be a guy you look at and go, hey, you know what? We can take him because he has similar skills and a similar athletic set to maybe a Saquon Barkley, who was a top five pick a year ago. I think Justice Hill, one thing that I always just remember from him in his time at Oklahoma State is the guy is a home run hitter. Mm -hmm. I mean, he gets outside and he can be gone. Like that. Was I mean, Saquon that's... almost not the same at Penn State? I mean, yes. he had some pretty, like, but Saquon's home runs were, like, magnified, like, yeah. we knew him, and they were on SportsCenter the next day. Yeah. Well, that night, basically. His team was also pretty good. Very good. Uh, so, you know, it, it was, um, it's different for Oklahoma State, obviously, but Justice Hill is, is a very good player, mm-hmm. and he is an exciting running back, and that's... That's why teams are always going to lick their chops in the sense of that they could get that, especially teams that are not good or especially teams that are looking for an offensive weapon, a guy that needs a home run hitter, Mm -hmm. quite honestly. And they could use him in the running game, in the passing game. You know, he's a guy who can get very involved with the offense very quickly. And anytime he touches the ball, he could go. Mm-hmm. Let's move on. Is, is there, first before we do, is there anything with the running backs we didn't touch that you think we need to? I don't think so. I think we touched the main ones. Let's move on to a guy who, to me, is very interesting because he's a guy that way early in the draft season I had mentioned to Mark of I wonder who the faller is going to be because every year there's two types of fallers when it comes to the NFL draft. There's the first type, which is they start out top five prospect on the first big board. Then they kind of creep into top 10. Then they kind of creep lower into top 15. And then maybe creep as low as where Ed Oliver is where, oh, wow, you're from you're in now 16 to 25 range when this was a guy who I believe both of us on the 1.0. We had him up. Yeah, we both had him. So. We both had him at two. Then on the 2.0, I had him at five. You had him at three. Still top five prospect. Then on the 3.0, he dropped to seven for me, and he was still a top five for you. And now the combine happens. He is now in this range of he is 20 for you, 18 for me. When it comes to you what are your thoughts on ed oliver because i know many people from the combine and mark had mark had actually been spot on with this and mark has always questioned this is when mark and i would talk about on the onside kick mark would always say all right with his size is he gonna play on the line is he gonna be a linebacker because mark would always say he might be too small to play in the middle of the line he might be a guy that you just put in your linebacking core. But Al Oliver believes he's a guy that can do the same, if not better. A recent quote from him, I can do the same 
as Aaron Donald in the NFL, if not better. What are you thinking about Ed Oliver, who was top five when we started this and now has creeped down to 16 through 25? Well, again, I think that, you know, part of it is is his size. You know, that is one of those things that you look at and you think, okay, you know, he does have the skill set. He does have the ability. Size in this position is different than size at the quarterback position, in my Mm -hmm. opinion, because the quarterback position isn't going up against anybody they're not tr- they're, they're not digging their heels in against somebody else trying to make tackles you know all that type of stuff mm-hmm. it's different whereas Ed Oliver is trying to do well you know exactly exact exactly that so sizes is, is an issue he missed some games last year with a knee injury is he holding up again is he going to hold up against that is in our injuries going to be a concern but I do love his penetration um, mm-hmm. to the ball. A good ball hawk. Uh, someone who I, I think that you you look at and you think, okay, he's got great power and good speed. Mm-hmm. But it's that size that you question, you know, where's he going to fit in and what scheme is he going to be? Mm-hmm. You know, is he going to be best at the 4-3? Is he going to be best at a 3-4? You know, that that's mm-hmm. all the type of thing as well is where he's going to fit fit best type of thing. And that's, I think, why he's dropped partially, but also partially because we're seeing so many other really good performances mm-hmm. from some of these other guys in front of him. Yeah, and I mean, the whole big thing for me is you got to think, these are guys that we're going to talk about and say their names later on, so I'm not spoiling where they are, but obviously their name's not called. You're assuming they're going to be later, but there's guys like, Drew Locke that's rising on draft boards. There's guys like DJ Metcalf that's rising on draft boards. How Montez Sweat, after the combine, everybody and their grandmother who is a defensive, like, if you gush over defensive players, you were sitting there going, oh, my God, can you see what Montez Sweat is doing? Especially after his 40. Like, his 40 time, people are like, what just happened here for Montez Sweat? So, like... Of course, there's a lot of, like, guys rise, and obviously if you rise above you, you're going to knock you down. But, like, Ed Oliver to me, yes, he's the same. He's similar size to um, Aaron Donald, who he compared himself to. And in the NFL article that I'm looking at, in NFL analyst Lance Zerline said this, I had heard that Oliver and his had his weight up, so I thought 287 pounds was good. He was actually an inch taller than I expected, and his arm length is exactly what I expected. He will crush all the drills at the combine, which is going to create new momentum for him. And I mean, with me, it all depends on, like, with Ed Oliver, like you said, what scheme does he fit into and what team does he fit to? Because I don't think, like, he's very different if you're looking defensive tackle. Quinn and Williams is the clear number one out of the entire defensive tackles. But then after that, you got Christian Wilkins, who is really good. You've got how Dexter Lawrence, if he didn't have that um, pop for steroid issue right before the playoffs, he probably would have been higher on draft boards. I mean, Ed Oliver isn't bad, but it's like, where is he? Where is he going to be valued with NFL teams? Plus, 
what kind of positions are teams going to value? Pass rusher, offensive tackle, which ones are going to go for quarterbacks, linebackers. So it's kind of a mix-up, especially since this draft is very heavy on all of the defensive um, prospects. Do you have anything that we didn't touch with Ed Oliver that you think we need to? I don't think so. Well, this is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below in that comment section. The first thing I want to ask is, do you think we're dead wrong on Ed Oliver? Because I feel like he's going to be one that people are going to be polarized, where some people are going to be like, no, you're crazy. He's a top 15, top 10 guy. There will be other people out there that will say, no, you guys are right on. I don't really know how he's going to fit in with different teams. And if he could be like that Aaron Donald at the next level for the NFL. Let us also know what you guys think about the running backs. Who's your favorite? What are you looking at from the running backs? Who do you hope gets put on a great team or a good team, a good fit? Let us know what you guys think down below. But, Brandon, let's move on into our next topic or our next segment of the big board. We're going to be looking at 6 through 15. If you are just joining us on YouTube, make sure to check out our First segment of when we did 16 through 25, talked about running backs and Ed Oliver in that one. If you're on podcast services around the world, thank you for trucking on through. This is now your third segment that you are listening to. Before we get into it, make sure to rate and review the Primetime Podcast on Apple Podcasts. That five-star rating really goes a long way, and it helps us get into the ear holes of more people around the world, around Basically, the universe there. The universe is bigger than the world. So, yeah, it gets us around the universe. Gets us not even into human ears, into alien ears as well that like their college football and their NFL draft. But, Brandon, let's go through 6 through 15 before we get into what we're going to talk about. Let's start with you. 6 through 15. Start us off with your 15th. All right. At number 15, I've got Noah Fant, the tight end from Iowa. At 14, Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan. At 13, Clellan Farrell, the D-end, Clemson. At 12, Juwan Taylor, the offensive tackle from Florida. At 11, Drew Locke, the quarterback from Mizzou. At 10, Greedy Williams, the cornerback from LSU. At 9, Jonah Williams, the offensive tackle from Roll Tide. At 8, Rashawn Gary, the D-end from Michigan. At 7, Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback for the Ohio State. And at six, Devin White, the linebacker from LSU. Well, and then moving right along into mine, at number 15, Drew Locke, the quarterback from Mizzou. Then at 14, Jawan Taylor, the offensive tackle from the Florida Gators. Then at 13, Christian Wilkins, defensive tackle from the Clemson Tigers. Then at number 12, Devin Bush, the linebacker from Michigan. Then at 11, Jonah Williams, the offensive tackle from the Alabama Crimson Tide. Then at number 10, Kyler Murray, quarterback from Oklahoma and the Sooners. Then at number 9, Dwayne Haskins, the quarterback from the Ohio State University. At number 8, D.K. Metcalf, the wide receiver from Old Miss. Then at number 7, Greedy Williams, the cornerback from the LSU Tigers. And then at number 6, Rashawn Gary, the defensive end from the Michigan Wolverines. And Brandon, the three guys we are going to talk about in this Segment, DK Metcalf, Kyler Murray, and Drew Locke. Let's start off with DK Metcalf. He was a guy coming into the combine. People had questions for, especially the injury history with the neck. 
apparently everyone's just freaking forgot about those because not only is DK Metcalf a just a unique physical specimen, like looking at him with his shirt off just makes me wish that my abs can look like his. Like he is like a they Greek. can they is, can Ricky. He is like a Greek god with how ripped his just washboard abs are for DK Metcalf. But not even that. Outstanding forty. Outstanding vertical jump. Kind of blew up Twitter when he had his four three three forty at the combine. However, as Mark thrown out, his three cone drill wasn't great. His shuttle, his 20-yard shuttle time was not great. I want to ask you this. The hype for DK Metcalf and how he is shooting up boards, is it deserved? And should teams in the top 15 be taking, not not the top 15, screw it. Should teams in the top 10 be taking a look at DK Metcalf? Because I had him at 8. You had him in our first grouping between 16 and and 25. You had DK Metcalf at 17 on your big board. So I had him at 17 is because last time I was going to put him in, but I just didn't feel that again, it was before the combine Mm -hmm. and he really I mean, when you put him and Hollywood Brown next to each other their, their college stats obviously are way different but DK Metcalf missed time and we know that. Mm-hmm. And that's why I kind of kept him out of the of the last big board is because I wanted to see what he was going to do come combine time. And he he was very impressive. I, I think that his 40-yard dash, that's, that's incredible. That was the talk of the weekend and, uh, you know, the, the late part of last week is what he was doing and how well he was doing. And just how crazy that was um, for a you know for a four three forty, um, really a, a, a great time. I think that when you pair what he did at the combine with his stats, with his size, with his ability, you have a very very good wide receiver mm-hmm. and most likely the most athletic wide receiver out of all of the receivers in mm-hmm. the group, and one who. Certainly, Ricky, 1 through 10 come NFL draft, there's going to be a team that needs a wide receiver that's going to be looking his way. No, and that's exactly what I said immediately after the combine when Mark and I talked about the, we talked about DK Metcalf on the onside kick, is there is going to be a team that now with this combine performance, he is now, I love Marquise Hollywood Brown, don't get me wrong. But DK Metcalf is now the number one receiver for me, obviously, as I have him rated higher now than uh, Marquise Hollywood Brown. But there is a team high up. I would not be surprised if a team in the top ten takes a stab at him. And for me, the thing I'm looking for is, like I mentioned to Mark, Cardinals, 49ers, Jets, probably a little bit too high for DK. I'm not saying he's going to go one, two, or three in the draft. But, I mean, I know they signed two wide receivers this offseason, but Buffalo at nine could take a stab at them. You look at the Lions, hey, we're signing a bunch of defensive guys. Maybe we don't have to look defensive at number nine. Let's go with a wide receiver to give Matthew Stafford someone big to throw to. 
Or even Jacksonville at seven could go, hey, we got Nick Foles. We need to give him some type of weapon as we lost both of our Allens, Hearns and Robinson, and that really hurt us last year. Let's get this athletic freak. And that is the question for me for DK is many people are going to say with his 7.38 cone drill and his 4.5 shuttle time, many people are going to say, oh, well, that means he's not a good route runner. He's not a guy that's going to run the routes. But the question I'm starting to ask about DK, does he need to be a meticulous route runner to be an all an all pro, even a great wide receiver at the next level? I'm starting to think he doesn't because the only thing I'm thinking is with that speed he's got, that 4.3 speed, that 6.3 height, that 228-pound frame, those 9 and 7 eighth sized hands, he could be a guy to where it's like it's almost like I want to I want to say Elshon Jeffrey level of like when he was on the Bears of like just throw it up and DK will go get it. Like DK just run straight. We're going to have the quarterback throw it to you. Just jump and catch it. Get the ball at the highest point, catch it. Or, hey, we're going to hit you in stride. And if you get to hit him in stride, boom, he could be off to the races with that speed to where I'm sitting here going, I don't really know if the route running question is really a huge issue because the speed and the athleticism slap you in the face as soon as you look at DK Metcalf. You know, I th- I think, and I think that that's the biggest thing. I don't I don't really worry about a three-cone drill. I'll be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I mean, tr- how many how many more opportunities would he, if given the chance to do a three-cone drill, would it be better? Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, th- this is this is where we really get to the nitty-gritty of, of things, and this is where the scouts really come in and – They'll look at, mm-hmm. oh, man, the three-cone drill. Well, he didn't do that well, but he did the 40-yard dash really well. Mm-hmm. What do we like better? For me, it's the 40-yard dash. Yeah. It's the speed. It's the speed paired with the athleticism Especially. that you said. Uh, and that's that's going to make him better. If he can mm-hmm. beat those those corners and the safeties and get over the top mm-hmm. and you've got a quarterback – hopefully you have a quarterback on the team that you go to, um, that can drop it into you, I think that that's going to end up being more successful. That's where he could be more successful. I'm not saying that he he doesn't need to have any knowledge of route running or be good at it, but his qualities are his athleticism, Mm -hmm. his ability to go get the football, and his ability to speed past defenders. That's what he has to be able to use. And... Honestly, route running can be taught. Mm -hmm. He'll be fine. Question for you, a little prediction. When we get to draft day, who do you think goes off the board first? DK Metcalf or Hollywood Brown? Probably DK Metcalf because of the fact that while while Hollywood Brown, again, I like him very much as well. But it's going to be the fact that DK Metcalf is just the a freak athlete. Mm Mm-hmm. Like you said, he was chiseled out by 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 God, mm-hmm. and you know the guy is just super athletic. Some would say he is a Grecian god. I I I I believe that it'll end up being DK Metcalf, the best fit I think for him. Not maybe not the best fit, mm-hmm. but the team who needs him the most out of those teams that you mentioned, Jacksonville, because they have nobody to throw mm-hmm. to, no one. Well, and I mean I. 
Because I just look at it. And, and, start, and, and Nick Foles is a quarterback who can get mm-hmm. you the ball. Like, I think DK is going to go between 7 and 15. And the reason why I say that, Jacksonville needs people to throw to. The Lions need people to throw to. The Bills, I know they got their two wide receivers and Cole Beasley and John Brown. DK Metcalf, someone for Josh Allen to throw it out to. The Broncos, you think Joe Flacco needs someone to throw to? Get him someone to throw to. You've got the Packers who could also, it's not a big need, but they could. But the big one, the Redskins. The Redskins could need a wide receiver as well. So that's why I look 7 through 15 and think there's no doubt that DK Metcalf goes in the first round. The thing that I kind of chuckle with is that we had the conversation about Hollywood Brown, about how him not being like the 40-yard and everything at the Combine because of his foot surgery or his foot injury, how would that hurt him? And it's funny that him not running it didn't necessarily hurt him. It's that DK Metcalf balled out with the 40 and the vert jump and the physicals that he jumped Marquise Brown. And it had nothing to do with Marquise Brown negative on him. It was just everyone now is looking DK Metcalf's way and might be eclipsing Hollywood Brown. But I want to move on into a different position on the offensive side, and that is the quarterback. And the one guy that everyone had their eyes on were Kyler Murray. And Kyler Murray... He is above 5'10". However, he did not remeasure himself at the Oklahoma Pro Day. So I am conspiracy theorizing he is not 5'10". He is below 5'10". He did not want the chance to be below it. I'm kidding, by the way, but he did not get measured at the Oklahoma Pro Day. So the height we have is 5'10", 5'10", and a 1 in one out of 8. So he's just over 5'10". His hand size was good. Same hand size, I believe, as Baker Mayfield, if not bigger. I want to ask you what your thoughts of Kyler Murray are after the combine because there were comments made by a certain former executive of the Washington Redskins that were not high of Kyler Murray and were questioning his leadership. I'm not going to spoil where you have Kyler, but obviously you have not said his name, so you have him in your top five. What are your thoughts on Kyler Murray as of right now? I love Kyler Murray. <laughs> I, I I think Brandon's like I secretly want to marry him. That's that is false. <laughs> but I I think that I I just like him because he's a playmaker. Mm-hmm. He's a playmaker. The guy is so versatile and he can do it all. And I understand that he may not be the most polished quarterback to ever come out of the draft. He may not be the guy who's ready, you know, like right away on day one to win a championship for a team. Okay. Is Dwayne Haskins? Mm-hmm. Probably not. Um, let's see. From the quarterbacks from last year, uh, Baker Mayfield did not win a championship in his first year with Cleveland. Sam Darnold didn't do it with the Jets. <laughs> Baker uh, might do it in a second, though. But also look at the weapons around him. Mm-hmm. He's been Baker Mayfield. What was so funny was so funny with Baker Mayfield. We were talking, oh gosh, if he goes to the Browns, man, that's going to be awful. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden, now it's like Christmas came very early for Baker Mayfield 
And he has been set up for success. John mm-hmm. Dorsey has set him up for success. So wherever Kyler Murray is going, if he is set up for success, if there are some pieces around him, he can do it. Mm-hmm. He can do it. I mean, again, I look again at a, a Russell Westbrook. Russell Westbrook, Christ Almighty, um, Russell Wilson. Uh, Russell Wilson. I, I do even... this. I do the same thing all the time. I mean Russell Wilson. I say Russell Westbrook. Hell, I mean Russell Westbrook. I say Russell Wilson. <laughs> they are like the same person name wise in my head. So the football Russell. Yeah. Um, I, I look at him and the success that he's had. Smaller quarterback, very mobile, good arm, can move around, can make plays with his legs, can make plays with his arms, is able to find wide receivers, mm-hmm. moves the ball down the field. Kyler Murray can do all those things. Mm-hmm. Can he be better at all those things? Sure. You're going to have to get better as you get into the NFL. But he is, I think, a pretty accurate quarterback. Yes, there can be some inconsistency, but he's fully capable of doing everything on the field. Mm-hmm. He's fully capable of, being, of doing everything that he's asked to. He's very confident in many of his throws. He makes, again, big plays on both sides with his legs and with his arm. And again, with Justice Hill, mm-hmm. going back to him and saying a team that wants a playmaker, a guy that can just hit the home run, really, whenever he touches the football. That's what I think of with Kyler Murray, is a guy who can really hit the home run at any time. Mm-hmm. And a dangerous weapon to have because, okay, if you're if you're a defensive back or you're a, a defensive tackle and you're coming in and you're coming to get him, whoop. Gets right around you, and all of a sudden, a play that looked like, boom, this guy's going to be sacked, 20-yard pickup mm-hmm. via his legs. That is what certainly will make him, I think, more exciting than your just average stand-in-the-pocket quarterback. And I understand that there's going to be people who will say that he needs to get better at his progressions. He needs to be more patient. And I want to He needs to you. do things like that, but... There's so much positive and, and, and so much potential there with Kyler mm-hmm. Murray in the NFL. And I want to actually ask you about that because these are this is from March 5th that this article is put up by the New York Post. If you want to hear my thoughts on it, I'm going to put it above Brandon. Mark and I talked about these on the Onside Kick Post Combine, but I have not been able to ask you about them, and I want to know what you think. So following the Combine... With Kyler Murray, we had two former executives speak out about them. At this point, we've heard many things. Bill Belichick bashing the first one, being like, well, there, there's a reason why you're not in the NFL anymore, because um, he sucks. Um, and it's like, damn, Bill Belichick said that about you. Ooh, how bad must you be? Um, but the comments were made. I want to ask you about them. The first one was by Charlie Casserly. And he was a former longtime executive for the Washington Redskins. And here's what he said. He hope he better hope Arizona Cardinal coach Cliff Kingsbury takes him number one because this was not good. There were worse comments. I are these were the worst comments I ever got on a high-rated quarterback. And I've been doing this a long time. Um, leadership, not good. Study habits, not good. The board work, below not good. 
not good at all in any of those areas, raising major concerns about what this guy is going to do. Now, people will say we're going to compare him to Patrick Mahomes. We're going to run an offense like Mahomes. We're going to run an offense like Baker Mayfield. But these guys are much different. Those guys, you never question them about their ability on the board. You never question their leadership ability, which Mark even said we kind of did with Baker a little bit. Um, Their work habits. They were outstanding in those areas. This guy is not outstanding in those areas, and it showed up in the interview. The second one was longtime NFL exec Scott McCaughlin, where basically he said on Monday morning quarterback, I saw his interviews during the Super Bowl, and they were awful. Awful. And to be a legit NFL quarterback, you've got to have leadership qualities like Baker. I know we drafted him in Cleveland, so I'm pretty, so I'm probably a little biased, but he controls the room. He walks in and it's like, whoa, watching Kyler do an interview is like, come on, guy. What do you what do you got? Give me something. I'm sure they're trying to train him up. But the thing about it is that's his personality. He's just not a go getter. Doesn't mean he can't be a good quarterback. Just mean he's not going to be the guy in the locker room. Brett Favre was the guy. Russell Wilson is the guy. Baker is the guy. He just doesn't have the personality. If I was still a GM, it'd scare me. What are your thoughts taking that all in? Well, I uh, for the first um, for the first one, um, Charlie Casserly. Um, so I will go to a guy who was what drafted seventh overall last year, Josh Rosen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's garbage um, and. You know, wasn't set up every, for success ev- though. I will every, say that certainly not, certainly not. But at the same time, at the same time, people question his leadership all the time. Mm-hmm. People question his ability to even want to play football. Mm-hmm. Drafted seventh overall. Drafted seventh overall, and you know, since then, yes, the hot tub incident. But you know what, though? <laughs> but, but, you know, but seriously, like, I didn't think that there was any problem with that. Yeah. I, like, I thought that was hysterical, truly. Mm-hmm. I thought that was hysterical. But there were people that and blew it up. Blew but, it th- up. But there's the problem. There is the problem. Mm-hmm. Is that they're going to take one comment from one person. Or just one picture. Who had one experience or saw one thing. And it could be taken out of context. Mm-hmm. Or it could have been him being... You know, a kid or for one, you know, one, one issue, you know, one time. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that anyone can be judged on doing something one time. And, you know, it's, it's really unfortunate that that's, that that's how some people will look at it and then go and talk about it and put it in the New York post. Mm -hmm. Um, on the on the second thing is that weren't those interviews around the Super Bowl? Isn't that when he still wasn't sure if he was doing baseball or if he was doing football? Yeah, and he didn't want to say anything. But and I, you brought that up too, and I don't think there was a better way to handle it. That's what I was thinking. Don't do the interview yet. Bingo. That would but, have been one. But here's the here's <laughs> the thing: is that he was probably uncomfortable even doing it, mm-hmm. and clearly, you know, by the comments and the 
avoiding the questions. He was uncomfortable doing it. Mm-hmm. So that's also a horrible example to try and use. And I guess I just these these guys, they come in mm-hmm. and they're expected to be Peyton Manning, and Tom Brady right off the bat, have the leadership of Peyton Manning and Tom Brady and the qualities of that and that you have to mm-hmm. be outspoken and vocal and this and that you got on Baker for being outspoken and vocal. I, I loved it. I loved it. But mine was on the field of like, I didn't like the, hey, let's flip off these players. I didn't like the, hey, let's run from the cops. Like with me, it was a little bit, hey, let's not be a douchebag. The thing that I will say I always liked about Baker is that chip on his shoulder mentality, which the thing is that with the Casterly comments, I look at that and go, all right, like you had one bad experience doesn't mean someone else can't look at it and go, no, 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 I can fit a system around this guy. Um, but when I look at the McCaughlin comments, that's because that dives into a more interesting conversation. Like you said, they're expected to come in and be the Tom Brady's, the Peyton Mannings. The reason why is this is no long, this is not the quarterbacks of yesteryear where this isn't like an Aaron Rodgers situation of like here sit behind one of the greats and then eventually you'll get your start most of these guys look at last year Josh Allen starting last year at some point in the season Baker Mayfield week three Josh Rosen was starting at some point last year Sam Darnold starting last year like all these guys Lamar Jackson starting last year all of those guys Starting And when you're handed the keys to the kingdom so soon, you have to understand the quarterback position is the most important position in all of football. And it's not just a position that we expect you to go out there and lead the team and be the guy to put the team on your back. But you're also the guy when things aren't going right, when there's issues in the locker room, this and that. Who's the first guy people turn to to ask a question? The head coach. Well, besides the head coach, the quarterback. quarterback. Like, you are the player that people look at, especially offense. You're the guy they look at. And the the main thing I worry about with Kyler Murray is if you were that awkward in interviews when you didn't know whether you were going to play baseball or not, what's going to happen— when you have to stand in front of the podium and talk to the media and they're drilling you with questions, are you going to be able to learn how to do that and handle that? Or are you going to be a guy that shows what we've seen? Because if we see that same Kyler Murray, it's not going to be a good look for him, especially if he's on a team and that team is losing early on. Because Baker Mayfield, let's be honest, he was winning in college. When he took over the Browns, they started winning. They were a 7-7 seven and seven team with Baker Mayfield. Mark and I looked that up yesterday. 7-7 seven and seven with Baker Mayfield. So, I mean... And they, should have been better because they got exactly, screwed out of the games. They got screwed in that freaking Oakland game Big that time. they should have won. Big time. Um, and, and like I said on the podcast, um, Onside Kick... 
If Baker started the first two games, they probably beat Pittsburgh week one and that New Orleans game week yes. two, especially if their kicker could get a freaking field goal in that game. They um, so that they should have been anyways. better than what they were. But that's what scares me is like the guys that he threw out, Brett Favre, of course, legend, Russell Wilson, and then Baker Mayfield, all three of those guys, yes, Brett Favre had the humor. Like that's how he played with the media was he threw humor at it. Russell Wilson, a very tact individual in interviews. And then Baker, yeah, he's a straight shooter, but you could tell Baker's comfortable in his own shoes and is able to, you ask him a question, he's not afraid to answer it. Can Kyler Murray be the same thing like those guys? So I know we've talked a lot about, you know, leadership and, and things like that. But I think the biggest part of leadership is what do you do on the floor? Or excuse me, I'm thinking basketball uh, because we were just talking basketball earlier. Mm-hmm. But I'm all over the place tonight. But um, It's hot in here, man. It, it is. I think I've lost my brain. Um, but uh, it's sweating. melted out of my mind, out of my head rather. But I think it's about performing on the field mm-hmm. and that and showing your leadership first and foremost and not everybody we've seen so many players get up and in, in, on on that podium and in front of that podium and talk to the media and not everybody's great at it mm-hmm. not everybody is great at it and some of them are quarterbacks that aren't just aren't wonderful at talking to the media they don't mm-hmm. have to be tom brady they don't have to be uh, Russell Wilson. They well, don't. Ha- I mean, but, but but here's what I want to get away from. I don't yeah. give a flying hoo ha about this because, and I'm really getting frustrated now because we're mm-hmm. going away from the fact of what he can do on the field and what he did at Oklahoma and any of this crap, this garbage that this guy really doesn't care that he's bad at preparing. Well, yeah, he must have been really bad at preparing when they lost all those games last year for Oklahoma when they got to the mm-hmm. when they got to the playoff. Yeah, he must have been really bad at preparing. Hold on, I'm not done ranting. And is that seriously, you look at this, you look at this guy he can play. He can play football. He can compete. He can certainly compete better than Josh Rosen, and I cannot say that enough. He's going to be the number one pick. I'm just going to say it, and he should be. And I understand that, yes, you one, you have to have weapons around you. I understand, too, that, yes, you're going to be called upon um, earlier than an Aaron Rodgers ever was. You're not going to probably have the luxury of sitting behind someone for three, four years, whatever it mm-hmm. might be. You're going to be thrown in. But look at this past year. Look at Sam Darnold. Look at Josh Allen. Look, these guys all had to learn on the fly. These guys all had to try and figure it out in the NFL because, yeah, college was great. And, again, Kyler Murray falls into this. College was great. You were the star. You were the stud. But guess what? Things are not... Things are not going to be as as slow for you, you know, as it was in college. It wasn't going to be, no, okay, here, I see it. I can see the coverage, reading the coverage. Well, this is easy. Now it's now it's NFL coverages, NFL, all this stuff. And you have to – the game is going to move faster. It's mm-hmm. going to move faster, and you will start to figure it out. And some guys will figure it out quicker. Some guys will quick figure it out uh, slower. Some guys just never figure it out. Jamarcus Russell never got it. But I, I think that Kyler Murray is a guy that, if given the opportunity, he has. He is just a weapon in and of himself, mm-hmm. and he can figure it out. And he reminds me of a guy in the NFL 
who can make plays happen spontaneously on the spot. I'm not even going to mention the name. We all know him. And he's not there. He's not that guy. Mm -hmm. But he can do things similarly. And he has great ability. That's all I'm going to say on Kyler Murray now. I, I really am not interested in talking any more about what other GMs who are no longer in the NFL have to say about him because it really doesn't quite matter. Well, before your rant, what I was going to bring up is, like you said, not everyone is great on the mic. The example I was going to bring up is the Super Bowl the Panthers lost. How was Cam Newton on the mic? Horrible. We criticized him to the umph degree of how he... After a huge loss in the Super Bowl that he was very, very, very upset about, we criticized him. Is Cam Newton not one of the solidified starters in this league? Yeah, he is. So there's that. Just because you're bad, like you make a mistake like that, or you're bad on the mic, doesn't mean you can't play quarterback. Here's my on the field question for Kyler Murray. And this will be, I won't have this answer until we see him in the NFL. At Oklahoma, he played behind the best offensive line in college football. Saw limited to no pressure. And the few pressure that he did see against Big 12 teams that don't play defense anyways, um, the limited pressure that he did see, he was able to escape from it. I want to see what happens when especially like what happens like if you – what you just said happens. He goes to the Cardinals. I want to see what happens there because their offensive line is, to quote the great Jim Mora Sr., um, the Cardinals' offensive line is diddly poo. They are not good. Like, I played them in Madden, and I was like, kill me after a season because Josh Rosen could do nothing with that offensive line, even with me playing with him, and I'm a good Madden player. But... I just, that's what I want to see from Kyler Murray. What can you do when you don't have the best offensive line? Because if he goes to the Cardinals, he won't. And what are you going to do against that NFL type of defensive player, which you mentioned is bigger, faster, stronger than you saw in college? Like, the thing I want to throw out, yes, it was one game, but Oklahoma almost lost to Army. Just throwing that out there. Like, yes, great offensive line. But they weren't as perfect as many people like to think they are. And with Kyler Murray, what are you going to do against? Like, if you Patrick Mahomes it and come in and prove me wrong. Like, we got remember when we did that segment, Brandon, believing in the Patrick Mahomes hype? Oh, I We do. actually got a comment on that recently. And the comment said, well, this segment sure aged well. Well, you're damn right. It aged horribly because I was wrong. Patrick Mahomes, unlike Dak Prescott, proved me wrong. Dak Prescott making me look pretty good right now, although I predicted you were going to go to the Cowboys. When you, um, what did you predict from Dak Prescott, that, that he we was going to be way bad? Over, that we were way over. Not that he's like terrible or anything, that we, after that first year, way overhyped Dak Prescott. Yeah, he's I mean, not as good as we thought yeah, he was. Yeah, I mean, he only just helped to bring the Cowboys to the playoffs last year. Well, I but. mean, Zeke, without Zeke, let's see what he's doing. But Kyler Murray, that's who we're talking about. I want to see what he does with a poor offensive line like he will have in Arizona against 
the NFL caliber defensive players that he's going to have to go up against when he's drafted. Well, I just want to say again, you look at what Josh Rosen was last year. Josh Rosen, pocket passer. He mm-hmm. ain't moving. If he's moving, it's in the child's pose yeah. for a sack. Kyler Murray brings much more mm-hmm. than that. And he's got good elusiveness, good escapability. I'm not saying that he's never going to get sacked because he certainly will. But he's more of a threat back there. And I truly do believe if you pair him with Cliff Kingsbury, you're going to make Cliff Kingsbury look good and Kyler Murray look really good. The only thing I will say to that is if many people are thinking like, oh, man, his running ability is going to translate. Lamar Jackson was an amazing runner in college. Got to the NFL. Most NFL teams, what do they want? Even like a Patrick Mahomes. Yeah, he can escape ability. But what do most coaches want you to do? They want you to throw it. They want you to throw the ball, not run the ball. And what did he do? He threw it. He, he that's ran That's what it. I'm saying. He didn't, he didn't throw it all the time. And yeah. then, yes, he started to throw it more and feel more comfortable towards the You're end of the season. You're talking Mahomes or Lamar? Lamar, Lamar Jackson. Okay. But look at, look at how well he did running the football. He was he, good, he, he but did, at the he same did. time, many people, people did question his arm. And that was the thing. Like I know his arm is not the same as... Kyler Murray, like Lamar Jackson and Kyler Murray are not identical comparisons. Kyler Murray has the way better arm compared to Lamar Jackson, but Lamar Jackson relied on those legs a little bit too much at times, and that was his fault. Will Kyler Murray be the same thing if he gets a ton of pressure at the next level? That's the thing. I want to see what he does under pressure at the next level because that's my biggest question. Um, last question I want to ask you because I'm gonna we're gonna change things up here. We're gonna move Drew Locke to the next segment because we've gone. It's a good conversation, but we've gone quite a while on Kyler Murray. I just want to ask you very quickly because you've said it before. If you were the Cardinals, what are you doing at number? I'm one? taking Kyler Murray number one because I don't want to be a crappy team forever. All right. See, I am on the other side. We were gonna have this conversation in the next segment, but because. This one went a little bit longer. We're switching things up. I wouldn't take Nick Bosa, take Quinn and Williams, take I would take Nick Bosa, take the pass rusher, because um, you just took a quarterback last year that I think is not a bad quarterback. He just had a bad coach and a bad system um, with Cliff Kingsbury. I think Josh Rosen could take a step in the right direction his sophomore year. So why reinvent the wheel? Um, why take a step back trying to take another quarterback? That's just my thought. Take Kyler, trade Rosen, be done with him. Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section, whether about Kyler Murray, about DJ Metcalf, about the Cardinals. Let us know what you guys are thinking down below in the comment section. But, Brandon, let's move on into our final segment. And woo is it hot in this room. <laughs> oh I think we're going a little loony in here, uh, especially after that <laughs> Kyler Murray conversation that we had um before we get into everything make sure to follow us on twitter i'm at ricky widmer brandon is at young underscore swan 19 most valuable podcast is at most valuable pod we're gonna be looking at our top five for our big board and talking about someone who is not in either of our top fives but we were going to talk about them in the last uh section but because we went so long on kyler murray we're going to talk about him in this section but brandon before we get into all that Take us through your five through number one. At number five, Montez Sweat, defensive end, Mississippi State. At four, Kyler Murray, as he should be, quarterback, Oklahoma. 
Number three, Josh Allen. As he should. Outside linebacker, Kentucky. Uh, Number two, Nick Bosa. Also should not be number one. Defensive end, the Ohio State. And number one, Quinnen Williams. Defensive tackle, Alabama. Well, then going right into mine, I'm going to start off at number five, Montez Sweathead. Boy, did he have a fucking baller combine. Um, defensive end out of Mississippi State. Then Devin White, the linebacker out of LSU. Then at number three, Josh Allen, not the quarterback from the Buffalo Bills, the outside linebacker from the Kentucky Wildcats. Then at number two, Quinnen Williams, defensive tackle, roll tied. And number one, the rightful number one pick in my mind, Nick Bosa, or Nick, not Joey Bosa, as I usually screw their names up, defensive end, the Ohio State University. And Brandon, the one thing I do want to say yeah. is compared to our NBA mock draft, don't think I screwed up a single name today. And that deserves a pat on the back for me because in our 16 through 25, I was adding some letters to guys' names and you did not notice and did not correct me. And I got chewed out in the comment section for that. Bruno Fernandez, I said. You didn't catch it. <laughs> I think I said, I said, I thought, no, I caught it. I you thought caught I said it Fernand- off camera. I thought I said Fernando at okay, one point. You, I know you caught it off camera. I said, instead of Gorga, I said, or Goga, I said Gorga. I screwed it up <laughs> yet again. And then instead of Kobe White, I think I said Colby White. So I'm just adding letters to shit I'll, when it gets in here. I'll be honest, <laughs> I'll be honest with you. Uh, sometimes Brain's I like I just don't listen. Some, no, 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 no. I do listen, and sometimes I do hear it, and I'm like, even if I correct him, he's gonna say it wrong again anyway. So might as well just let him be. Yeah, there was one comment where someone said, "Are you trying to mispronounce these names on purpose?" No, I'm just an idiot and add letters to stuff. See, here's the thing. Mm-hmm. You would continue to be right if you just don't look at the comments. Yeah, I just I just move right on. But in our top five, so we're going to talk about Montez Sweat. He is in our top five. The one guy we're moving into this segment who we moved from segment two into segment three is Drew Locke. He's not in our top five, but I wanted to talk about him. Um, we went long on Kyler Murray in the previous segment. But let's take a look at Montez Sweat, a guy who has moved up into the top five for the first time in both my big board and your big board. He just balled out at the combine, had a spectacular combine. I didn't even know that he had that kind of speed in him for the 40-yard dash. And I even saw something today on ESPN that I want to pull up really quick about him is that the I it's a video. It's about a minute and 12 uh, – one minute and 12 second video, and it says Montez Sweat has clowny esque upside. What are you thinking about Montez Sweat? And could he be, when we look at it, better than a Nick Bosa, better than a Rashawn uh, Gary, better than all the pass rushers? Hell, even a Josh Allen, better than all the pass rushers that we're seeing right now in this draft class. So. His forty was impressive. Mm-hmm. Four 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 one. Like DK Metcalf that's, blew up Twitter. That's absolutely great, and I think that they even on Twitter they had some guys saying, um, "I want uh, Montez Sweat to be my number one wide receiver." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it it was it was really quite funny actually. Mm-hmm. But his speed, his size, his his ability, his strength. I mean, this guy was recruited. 
um, when he was signing with Michigan State back in 2014, he was recruited as a tight end. This is a big dude. This mm-hmm. is a strong guy. And with what you said with Clowney-esque potential ability mm-hmm. uh, to, to be at that level, that's absolutely incredible. And I think that one of, again, his, his best traits is his speed and his ability to get off the edge so quickly. I mean, talk about coming at a quarterback that a quarterback does not want to have this guy coming at you. Mm-hmm. It's going to happen a whole lot, I think, this next year. I, I really look for his first season in the NFL to be a very successful one. Um, watch for his name a lot with no matter what team that he's going to be on. But when you pair that speed with his athleticism and with his strength, with his size, it makes for a whole lot of scary. And, mm-hmm. and I think that that's what's going to be most exciting as as he'll be a very fun player to watch. Well, and the thing I kind of look at is where where in the top 10 is Montez Sweat going to go? Because the Cardinals, in my mind, you've got a choice between either two prospects. You either go Kyler Murray or you go Nick Bosa. Like <clears throat> right now, I'll be honest, although I asked the question, could he be like the best pass rusher? I still have Nick Bosa as my top defensive end right now, so I don't think the Cardinals go with Montez Sweat. However, after that, let me ask you this. The 49ers just traded for D4. I know. So some would think, hey, they might have locked up their edge rusher need. Could they be a team at two? Could we hear Montez Sweat's name called number two and could we see in the NFL next year, D Ford on one side, Montez Sweat on the other? It'd be amazing. I mean, we'd be looking at San Francisco as I don't want to say um, the the, uh, the 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 Cleveland Browns mm-hmm. of the NFC West, but I think we'd be looking at a San Francisco team that, when healthy, when all their guys could be healthy, mm-hmm. dangerous, dangerous team to be able to compete with. Uh, with, with with Seattle and the Rams, maybe not quite right away, mm-hmm. but I, I, certainly a team that I, I would compete with Seattle would be better than Arizona and would be making their way towards the top, especially when you just look at their defense. It's really good. When you look at their offense and you have a a healthy Jarek McKinnon, I, I think that that would be you know uh, a, a great thing to see. Actually, see him play. Now you add, add Tevin Coleman into the mix there at running back, and then at quarterback. Why can I not think of his name? Garoppolo, um, Jimmy Garoppolo, Garoppolo, um, Illinois native, Arlington Heights. Go get it. When when he comes back and he's fully healthy, he is going to be very fun and exciting to watch as well. And and I think it's going to be for for them you know receiving weapons what's going to happen there but i know that this is about montez sweat mm-hmm. not the 49ers but i i, I, mean, I but i do hand but, in hand i asked you about but, it. I, but i do think though that if you have d ford on one side and mm-hmm. montez sweat on the other side that is a very very outstanding one two combo there i i, I really hated seeing the chiefs uh, get rid of D Ford because mm-hmm. I really like him. I think he's a very good player on the defense. Well, I mean, I know this has this is more of an onside kick thing, but I know you're a Chiefs fan. I want to get your reaction really quick because I haven't asked you about it at all. Eric Berry no longer going to be a Chief either. 
I know. Really unfortunate. I uh, I like Eric Berry. I think he's a really good player, has been a really good player. You know, a great story. Uh, you know, wonderful that he was able to beat cancer. But it, it, it's his injuries the last, you know, couple of seasons that he's barely been on the field. Um, I think that's that, that really hurt him. And, and the Chiefs were just ready to... to you know, go a go a different direction, and mm-hmm. certainly wish him nothing but the best. The Chiefs organization um, did that for sure, but uh, sometimes that's that's just what happens. But Eric Berry is a he's a really good player, and now it's Honey Badger time in KC. So excited! That. But getting back to Montez, what the thing that I think of, and this might be a little bit of a spoiler for my mock draft on the onside kick next week. I don't think he get. I don't think he gets out of the top four. And the reason why I say that is because it's going to depend on, of course, you've got Quinn and Williams and Josh Allen right there. Like, you look at both of our top fives, Quinn and Williams is there, Bosa is there, Allen is there, Montez Sweat is there. The only difference, you have Kyler Murray, I have a middle linebacker in Devin White, who I just like his leadership is why he's in my top five right now. Montez Sweat, to me, if I look at the top of the draft, I don't think he goes to the Cardinals. I think that's either Nick Bosa or Kyler Murray. If Kyler Murray goes number one, he's not going to go to the 49ers because Nick Bosa will be snatched up by the Niners quicker than you could say hotcakes. And then the next two teams, Jets and Raiders, what's their number one need? Edge rusher. The Jets is a question because... Do you go with an edge rusher? Do you go with an offensive lineman to help out Sam Darnold? Do you go with maybe a DJ Metcalf to help out DK, uh, DK Metcalf? I keep saying that, too. DJ, because I think DJ more, um, but DK Metcalf, because um, helping out Sam Darnold is huge as well. But then let's say the Jets don't go with an edge rusher. Who's sitting there at four? The team that after they traded the best pass rusher in the damn league said, well, you know, it'd be better if we had a pass rusher. So I don't think at the least, I don't think he gets past the Raiders. But hell, even if he gets past the Raiders, who else needs a defensive end? The Buccaneers. So for me, I think with his combine, with what he showed us, Montez Sweat for me is a lock as a top five pick in the NFL, just based off of, the top five teams and what they need because all of them could go pass rusher and then the Buccaneers, it's not really a pass rusher or edge rusher. It's mainly that defensive end. So to me, I don't see Montez Sweat falling out of the top five in the NFL draft. I agree with you too. Um, Also because just going off of Dan Mullen's comments that Mm -hmm. this guy Montez was a middle of the, uh, probably middle of the draft type of guy and he's worked his way from middle to top because of how hard he worked um, to have those impressive numbers at the combine. And he said he works extremely hard mm-hmm. and worked extremely hard to do that. And it's paying off. And now he's, you know, possibly solidified himself as a top five, maybe top seven pick. And, and that, you know, that's, that's no like coincidence that this happened. It's mm-hmm. hard work. And, you know, that's coming from, 
his head coach, Dan Mullen, at uh, Mississippi State. So that's exciting to hear. And you always do like when you you have a player who, not that he wasn't talked about, certainly we had talked about him but mm-hmm. um, and said his name, but he was more of a middle to the lower end of the um, top 25 big board. Mm-hmm. And now we're talking about him at, you know, top top five at number five, mm-hmm. I think, for um, for both of us. Yep. And that's that's exciting. Next guy I want to ask you about is a guy we're going to talk about in the 6 through 15 range. We bumped him to this range just for the conversation. Drew Locke had a good combine. People now are his draft stock is rising on most. For me, definitely, I was kind of the same thing with D as you were for DK Metcalf, where our last mock draft after the senior or big board after the senior bowl, I was like all right, I'm going to put him 16 through 25 only because I still am kind of fringy on Drew Locke. Saw his combine, saw everything he did. I do not think this kid drops below 15. If he is there for the Redskins, I think the Redskins scoop him right up and take him. What are your thoughts on Drew Locke? Is he a Locke? for a first round and what team do you think he fits best with and should maybe target him in the first round? Uh, uh, I like him uh, a lot. I think he's a good quarterback. He's got an incredible arm, a very strong Mm -hmm. arm. He does not miss open receivers. He anticipates well. Um, He's a, he's a good player and he put up really good stats um, at Mizzou and uh, definitely a guy who would be, I think, NFL ready, has the size. No one's going to question that. You know, obviously, everyone's going to say some things about you that you want to, you know, be be better. And, you know, one of those things is always going to be, well, decision making. You know, mm-hmm. if he just made better decisions on, in this situation, that situation. But that's going to be every single quarterback. Mm-hmm. Um, where he could fit. Um, I'm trying to think of teams that... Well, um, the Miami Dolphins need a quarterback. Interesting conversation, though, because are they going to – do you think with the new head coach coming in from New England, Flores, do you think they still stick to their plan and say, nope, we're going to target Tua next year? Do they really want to be awful again? That The the news was early on that they have said – they are going to bypass a quarterback this year, target Tua in 2020. Well, here's also part of the problem with the Dolphins. Uh, and if you were to go to the, the Dolphins. Patriots. The Patriots no. are still there and still going to win the division. No, it's the fact that who do the Dolphins have as weapons? Mm-hmm. Amand- I mean, Amandola is gone. They just re-signed Devonta Parker to a two-year deal. Woo, <laughs> he sucks. I'm sorry. I mean, unless he just automatically, you know, this year has mm-hmm. some epiphany like, wow, I should probably get better at football. You know, he's awful. Um, and don't draft him in fantasy, let me tell you. If you want to lose, pick up Devonta Parker. I He'll feel, help you lose. I feel like you picked up Devonta Parker. No, he's just oh, okay. awful. Because I thought you might one, have picked him up and he lost you he a couple was, games. No, he was one of those guys coming out of college that people were like, mm-hmm. keep an eye on this Devonta Parker guy. He's going to mm-hmm. be good. Bunch of lying assholes. Um, but um, 
The, I mean, then they've got Kenny Stills, mm-hmm. the running back situation. I don't know what was going on last year, but it looks like maybe it's going to be more locked down this year um, mm-hmm. now that Frank Gore is gone. Um, but uh, it's just you're going into a situation where Miami's just not very good. Mm-hmm. That's part of the problem. But I'm, I'm honestly trying to think right off the top of my head. I would probably have said Washington. That's where I'm thinking. But they're getting they they have Case Keenum now um, with that with that trade that they did with uh, the Denver Broncos, mm-hmm. and I think that made sense to go get Keenum. But then, why would you? I don't know. I guess I just feel like no, you didn't really give Keenum, up. You Keenum's didn't really only give, got one year though. You really didn't give up a whole lot to get Case Keenum. Mm-hmm. Do you bring him in? You know. Have him try and go for this year as your starter. Bring in Locke. Have him sit behind him for a year. You know, see how everything goes. And maybe not even the full year if Keenum does what he did in Denver last year, unfortunately. Case Keenum, Minnesota Case Keenum, he'll be fine. He'll resurrect his career. He'll be fine. But mm-hmm. uh, Denver Case Keenum, he'll be uh, no longer unseated as a uh, quarterback by week five. No, and I mean, for me, I feel like the Redskins are the perfect team for Drew Locke. Because at 15... You've got a decision to make. It's do we go for the quarterback of the future? Because obviously Case Keenum, Case Keenum is a Band-Aid. Case Keenum is, oh, no, Alex Smith probably might not play football again. Colt McCoy, same injury, might not play football again. Broke their legs. And especially Alex Smith of, like, didn't he have, like, an infection when they were doing the surgery on his leg, which was no bueno as well. And after looking at his leg when he was at a Washington Wizard game, did not look like that guy is going to be suiting up playing football anytime soon. It's do you go for that quarterback to groom behind Case Keenum? Because I believe you give Case Keenum the ball, and if you suck this year, you suck this year. Doesn't really matter. Um, Or... If there's a DK Metcalf there or a Hollywood Brown there, do you say, well, you know what? We're going to suck with Keenum anyways or could suck with Keenum any- anyways. Let's get that wide receiver. So if we get the number one pick, we win the Tua lottery, we can slot Tua right in. Basically, with the Redskins, do you want to potentially be the Cardinals of this year where you're – not great. Maybe you get the number one pick, but oh shoot, we drafted a quarterback last year, and now we have the position to draft Tua. Where the Cardinals, oh shoot, we drafted a quarterback last year, we have a position to now draft Kyler Murray number one. Which let's be honest, Jay Gruden might be on the way out um, after this year. Like they're, it's very flaky. With some people like Jay Gruden, other people are like, no, get Jay Gruden out of there. I think that Drew Locke could be a guy that, since he doesn't have to start right away, let Case Keenum have this year, let Drew Locke kind of make the improvements that he's got to make, learn from being the backup, kind of like what Lamar was going to do before he was thrusted into the starting quarterback role. But the Redskins, to me, look like a team that could do it. Or the highest I could see Drew Locke going is the Broncos. Let's say they go, hey, I know we've got Joe Flacco, but we could draft Drew Locke, have him sit behind Joe Flacco, and kind of mold him from there. So there's that kind of thing as well. One curveball I want to throw you here at the end of the podcast. As always. 
Daniel Jones had a horrible combine. People are very low on Daniel Jones. Is there a possibility of either two things with Daniel Jones? That he either gets drafted late in the draft by like a Patriot team and becomes the heir apparent to Tom Brady, because I've seen those articles out there already, or is there a possibility that a team trades with the Rams or the Packers, a la like the Vikings did for Teddy Bridgewater or like the Ravens did for Lamar Jackson to try to get a fifth option on Daniel Jones? Could he be like a pick 31-32 when we get to the draft to get that fifth-year option? I don't see it. I've really never been like the biggest fan of Daniel Jones. I really haven't been a Daniel Jones guy, so I think that we're going to – I'd be looking at him later on in the draft. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, he's definitely a round two guy. I know also if you had to pick of the guys after Drew Locke, I know who your fourth quarterback would be, and that is Will Greer. You are a we, you are a like how Dave on the fast break is a James Harden stand. You are a Will Greer stand. Like you will sit in Will Greer's corner and wave the Mountaineer flag. Go, Woo! Yeah, Will Greer, go Will Greer. Yeah, that's Brandon. That that's is funny. Brandon. Whereas that's most funny. people are like, yeah, I like Drew Locke. Brandon's like, woo, go, go, Will. Will's my boy. And then when people go, but what about quarterback number one? You go, where's my Oklahoma flag? Yeah, go <laughs> Kyler. Yeah, that is I the Brandon it. Swanson way. But any final thoughts on anything before we wrap this thing up? No. This is where you guys come in. Let us know what you guys think down below in the comment section. Make sure to also hit us up on Patreon, patreon.com backslash Podcast. We are actually very, very soon going to have brand new rewards. However, the one that is going to stay the same, spoiler alert, is the $10 tier. You can support us for $10 each month. Pick a podcast of your choice. Join that podcast each month. Talk about the topic you would like to talk about. Also, make sure to rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and iTunes. The five-star rating really goes a long way to make sure we are in the ears of more people and get our podcast heard by more people around the world. And then last but not least, follow us on Twitter. I'm at Ricky Widmer. Brandon's at Young underscore Swan 19. Most Valuable Pod is at Most, or Most Valuable Podcasts is at Most Valuable Pod. Thank you guys for watching us on YouTube. I want to thank you guys for listening to us on podcast services around the world. It is very hot in here. I can't wait to go out. I'm probably going to buy a bottle of water before I go home from our vending machine in the hall. But thank you guys for watching and listening. And as always, have a good day, everybody. Thank you for listening to this MVP podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Most Valuable Pod for more great podcasts.